0: Hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees.
1: You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's, Let's go! Let's
0: go! Go! Let's go!
1: Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast episode 155. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. Oklahoma coming off the bye week facing off against Central Florida this Saturday at 11 a.m. The rest of the season all in front of Oklahoma. The path to the playoffs all there. But before we dive into that, Tyler, how you
0: doing? I'm good, Adam. bye weeks are always a little bit difficult, uh, especially the bye week that we experienced a year ago, coming off of a six and seven season. But this bye week, Adam, felt pretty good. Six and zero, oh, coming off of a big time win over Texas. Kind of got to use the weekend to recharge, put the feet up, uh, watch some of the other college football teams across the country, kind of go to battle. We'll touch on that here in just a minute. But things are good, man. Obviously, uh, things are super busy out here in Denver. It is starting to get a little bit colder, so winter is definitely on the way. But as far as OU athletics go, man. It's really starting to ramp up. OU football's kicking ass. Volleyball's in the middle of things. Uh, the men's and women's basketball teams are starting to practice. Softball's dominating through the first week or so of the fall series. So things are good, man. Let's uh, let's let's dive into it. college football here in Norman this upcoming Saturday. It's back. Uh, let's start this back half of the season. Let's go. Let's do it. We're
1: going to start with the national scene for college uh, football, and then we'll dive in a little bit here in a moment to a UCF preview. But, It's kind of nice to be able to sit back as an OU fan and relax over the weekend. And I don't think you could have two back-to-back weekends be more perfect for OU fans. I texted you on Saturday evening, and I said, short of winning a national championship, this may have been like the best two-week stretch for Oklahoma football in a really, really long time because you beat Texas. You pull out all the receipts of all those Texas fans that were super arrogant after one year (laughs) of winning 49-0 against a quarterbackless Oklahoma, Uh, all the national media that was wrong about Brent Venables and so forth. And then you couple that with week two of USC going on the road, losing big time to Notre Dame. Caleb Williams' Heisman hopes maybe falling apart on that night. We'll see. I think he'll. I think he'll have a good rest of the year still. But uh, really, just the validation of of OU as a program. Again, pulling out the receipts again on all the poor hapless uh, USC fans, the Colin Cowherds of the wor- world. So really, couldn't have played out much better for Oklahoma in the bye week.
0: Well, and I think that that's one of the best parts about social media, Adam, particularly Twitter. The the little bookmark uh, option that it does give <laughs> you. Uh, ultimately, Oklahoma fans have been able to spend the better part of the last basically 12 to 15 months uh, basically, kind of been taking it in the shorts uh, from some of these national media guys, from some of the other members of the uh, you know other college football fan bases. And when you've got a team that is six and zero, coming off of a top five win over your arch rival in the University of Texas, going into a bye week where you can kind of just kind of sit back, watch what's going on around the landscape of college football. USC got their ass kicked in South Bend on Saturday. What a fantastic, uh, basically a fantastic bye week for Oklahoma. Did you get a chance to check out the Lincoln Riley post game press conference?
1: We're close. Oh, yeah. I was We're, watching that live. <laughs> one
0: or two things go our way. We're talking about a little bit different game. You lost by 28 and you gave up six and you had six turnovers on Saturday night. I'm not sure you're just a little bit away. Kind of feels like the wheels are starting to come off a little bit uh, up there in Los Angeles. And they've got a. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier this weekend. Utah's coming to town. And then ultimately they've still got Oregon and Washington on the schedule. Uh, we're, we're really about to find out what Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley, what this program out there in uh, in the Pac-12 is made of.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, some good games in the Pac-12, uh, some good games in the ACC this past weekend. There's going to be more good games coming up this Saturday. And I think we'll start to get a clearer picture of what the Big Ten looks like. Uh, and then you've got Georgia just sitting there in the SEC with really no big competition really at this point Uh, although Brock Bowers has gone down he's gonna need ankle surgery so he's gonna be out for a few weeks so maybe the Bulldogs are susceptible there but let's take a bigger look there because that's five power conferences there's only four playoff spots right now like what conference in your
0: mind is, is gonna get left out at the end of the day here Tyler I mean, that's really hard to say. As as you were going through your opening monologue, I kind of jotted down a few teams that are, you know, really high contenders still within each of the Power Five conferences. And I mean, you just started in the ACC, Florida State, North Carolina, two undefeated teams right now. It kind of feels like that's a collision course for uh, uh, an ACC championship game in Charlotte. You flip things over to the Big Tw- uh, Big Ten. Big Ten, it kind of feels like the season officially starts this weekend. You've got the matchup in the horseshoe with uh, Penn State traveling to Columbus to take on Ohio State. The round robin between those two programs and Michigan, that's going to play itself out here over the next six weeks. And then, you know, Adam, once you kind of move into the SEC As much as we talk about that being the most competitive league from top to bottom, there's really three teams that have kind of separated themselves from the pack in terms of who could be that representative from the SEC. It's Georgia coming out of the East. It's Alabama who they've got the one conference loss. LSU's got just one conference loss. Both of those two teams control their own destiny. So uh, again, it's kind of a free for all right now between those three conferences. OU Texas kind of feels like those are the only two programs that could have a shot at making the playoff. And then, I don't. I don't want. I don't know. I don't want to say cannibalize is the best word, but when you look at that Pac-12 conference, you look at some of the premier teams out there. You know, Oregon coming off of a loss to Washington. USC's out there. Oregon State's playing really good football. UCLA is no slouch. Washington State who I know that they kind of got handled a week ago uh, against Arizona, a team that's you know really starting to find their footing and play some really good football as we move into the middle part of October. It just kind of feels like the Pac-12, even though Washington and Oregon might be two of the best five or six teams in the country, there's so many good teams out there in that league that it kind of, I, I would be very hard-pressed to see any of those teams going through that conference unscathed on the back half of this season. So as it sits right now, I think I'm going to lean Pac-12 in this instance because I think that FSU or UNC, they're in. The winner of the SEC championship game, they're a shoe-in. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, one of those three is going to be in. And if we get down to the last weekend of the season, Adam, in conference championship play where you've got an undefeated OU versus a one-loss Texas, the winner of that game is going to go. I don't care if it's an undefeated Oklahoma team. I don't care if it's a one-loss Texas team that just, you know, basically avenge their one loss of the season. They've got the Alabama win on their schedule still. I, I think that the Pac-12 is the team right now. Unless one of those teams goes undefeated, which Washington is the only one right now, I think that's the conference that gets left out.
1: Yeah, a lot of competition there in the Pac-12, and I don't think USC's done. Everyone's kind of predicting four losses for them this year, but they'll have a game where Caleb Williams will play out of his mind, and he'll probably outscore whoever it is on the other side of the field. Maybe that's Washington, who they get to host at home here in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of think if the Pac-12 gets left out of the playoff, on one hand, that could be good for OU in the sense that those are going to be the best quarterbacks in the country. And so maybe you don't want to face that team because Michael Penix, Washington, for example, maybe OU just scores, you know, 35 points against them, but there's no stopping a, a team that that's, that's that good on offense, regardless of uh, how good OU has uh, gotten on defense this year and year two under Venables. So maybe it just doesn't matter, and maybe you'd rather play some of these other teams because, you know, Carson Beck, he looks solid at Georgia, but I don't think he scares you particularly as an OU defense. I don't think J.J. McCarthy particularly scares you. These are good guys, good players still, but just a tier below, you know, your Bo Nix and and your Michael Penix, for example, out of the Pac-12. So I think that could be a good result. What about the ACC, though? Florida State kind of just around I guess at this point no one's really paying that much attention to them they'll play Duke this Saturday they've still got to play uh, Florida at the end of the year and I think they may have one more tough one uh, somewhere mixed in there UNC undefeated still at this point are you buying the Tar Heels there or, or do you think maybe UNC could knock Florida State and both of them could be out of the playoff
0: I definitely think that one of those two teams is going to make it. I predicted, you know, before the season, I thought the Florida State that was kind of my sleeper team to ultimately make it to the national to make it to the national championship game. I think that they're a team that the the biggest test of their season in 2023 kind of happened within the first four weeks. Obviously, the win over LSU on a neutral field. They go to Clemson, knock off Dabo's team in overtime. Uh, but you just look at the back half of the schedule for the Seminoles, man. I mean, they, they've got a matchup right now against Duke. And as good of a story as that has been with Mike Elko and the Blue Devils out there, I still don't think talent-wise they have the ability to keep up with this FSU team for four quarters. And then once you get past the Blue Devils, Wake Forest, Pitt, Miami, okay, that's a good game on paper, but Miami's clearly not what we've, you know, grown accustomed to. They've kind of – Capable,
1: capable Capable, you
0: know, on any given yeah. Saturday, they you know, they can play with, you know – pretty much anybody in that conference, and then you close things out in a rivalry game against Florida. So I think that Florida State is pretty much secure. Um, Drake May, I know that there was so much conversation going into this upcoming season about Caleb Williams is number one. It's a clear-cut distance between one and number two. I think that Drake May is kind of – making a case why he could potentially be, you know, the number one quarterback taken in the draft. And again, I don't want to I don't want to chalk it up to, you know, complete overreaction based on Caleb Williams, uh, you know, in his performance against Notre Dame as bad as that was. I still think he's the best player in college football. But when you look at the prototypical NFL style quarterback that some of these franchises have put out over the years, Drake May foots the bill uh on this one. And you look at the back half of the Tar Hill schedule, they've got uh, they got Virginia this week. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable, or pretty comfortable, that they're going to be able to take care of the Cavaliers. UVA is one of the worst football teams in the Power Five. Georgia Tech, Campbell, Duke, at Clemson is the tough one for me. Clemson's season pretty much done at this point in terms of their college football playoff aspirations. They have an outside chance of making it to to Charlotte to you know compete for the ACC championship. But yeah, I think that this is a this is a clear cut Florida State UNC collision course in Charlotte. And I think that the winner of that game is going to have just as strong of an argument as anybody, especially if they're both undefeated, why they should be the ACC representative in the uh, college football playoff.
1: You mentioned the Big Ten schedule really kicking off this weekend as Penn State travels to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. Ohio State, honestly, one of the quietest (laughs) undefeated teams out there. Kyle McCord, I guess he's been okay as the starter at quarterback there for, for Ohio State, but probably not what... They're used to or what they're expecting out of a normal starter in a Ryan Day offense, especially uh, for an elite program like Ohio State. I think that's kind of the one that scares me. If I'm an OU fan, I look at the Big Ten and I go, OK, we've seen this kind of three headed monster in the Big Ten uh, East for several years now. They all go maybe one and one against each other or maybe maybe let's say Penn State loses to Ohio State and then Ohio State beats Michigan later on penn state's you know left out of the big 10 championship game but they lose by a field goal on the road to ohio state i feel like there's going to be an argument there and you definitely don't want two teams to be in the college football playoff from the same conference so that's honestly one of the ones that scares me the most is the big 10
0: well and i think that's why the big 10 going into the month you know the the latter part of october into the month of november i think that that's the most intriguing conference uh that ultimately is going to play out over the course of the back half of the season you know michigan is a team that even though they are undefeated even though they are you know the number 2 team in the country right now you look at the first half of what the the schedule for the Wolverines everything that they've played i mean ECU UNLV <clears throat> Bowling Green Rutgers Nebraska Minnesota Indiana it's just been cupcake after cupcake in this conference that they are way more talented than way better at the coaching spots this is the this is the first weekend they they play the rivalry game up in East Lansing against Michigan State uh you know, all these obviously, you know, big shout out to the Spartans, Adam, your fiance, uh, being a Sparty grad. Uh, but then the the season for them, honestly, Adam, it really doesn't kick off until the last three weekends of the season. They make the trip up to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. They've got a matchup on the road against Maryland, and then they close things out at home with Ohio State. So that's going to be a conference that I really think it comes down to the final weekend of the season. If you do get into a situation where each of these teams split against one another and you go down to the very end where you've got three teams that are ranked with you know three top 10 top 15 teams that only have one loss to each other how does the college football playoff committee really kind of decipher who gets the nod in that in that scenario and really is this a situation where Depending on what happens in the other conferences, does the Big Ten, are they in a position where they could possibly get two teams in? There's obviously a lot that's, you know, a lot of football out there remaining to be played. But I think that the Big Ten is one where if you're talking about two teams that could potentially get in, depending on how the back half of the season goes, I think that that conference is going to have just as strong of an argument as any.
1: We sit here as OU fans and we point to the left coast and to the east coast and say, ah, the Pac-12 might cannibalize or the ACC's got some difficult schedules there. Yeah. But I kind of wonder if we should be looking in the mirror in the Big 12 here and saying that, yeah, OU and Texas are in probably in the most precarious position of getting left out of the playoff as that mm-hmm. fifth power conference that doesn't make it there. Really, the reason being is that Texas already has one loss, so they're on the ropes already. They could be upset potentially, you know, by Iowa State on the road, or maybe they lose to OU in a conference championship game. Uh, then OU, OU's got some tough schedules. I mean, you could make some arguments, probably not UCF this Saturday, but Kansas on the road, Oklahoma State looks like they're improving. West Virginia looks like a solid team. BYU on the road. TCU, I don't know what TCU is at this point. It feels like if Chandler Morris is on the field, not a team. If Chandler Morris gets hurt and a new quarterback comes in, that's a team. So I, I don't know what to think about the Horned Frogs just yet, but... Oh, he's got some some challenges here in front of them uh, before they even have a chance to potentially lock up a spot in a Big 12 championship game. So we I was kind of curious about this. I asked this on Twitter a little bit earlier today where I said, hey, if Oklahoma were to drop a game, but still rebound to win the Big 12 championship game. So losing to one of those final opponents on the regular season schedule, they go to Arlington, they probably beat Texas in that scenario is OU still a lock for the college football playoff? Tyler, I want to get your response first before we jump over some of uh, the responses that we got on Twitter.
0: Well, I think the only scenario in which Oklahoma doesn't find themselves in a college football playoff this year, ultimately, if they go on, if they comp- if they finish an undefeated regular season, they win a Big 12 championship, yes, 1,000% Oklahoma will be one of the top four teams in the country. But even if you lose a game, and this is, Adam, why I think that the the win over Texas was such a big deal, not just because you're beating Texas, not just because you're avenging a 49 nothing loss, but you now kind of have a mulligan in your pocket right now to where you look at the back half of this season, you've got you've got games on the road at BYU. All of a sudden, that trip to Stillwater looks a little bit more daunting than it did a couple of weeks ago. That's going to be a big one against the Pokes, and then you finish it out against TCU. West Virginia's another one coming to Norman. But getting that win over Texas, having that mulligan in your back pocket to where if you lose one of those two games and you still find your way into the Big 12 championship and you beat Texas and you go an 11-1 and or a 12-1, and unless the other four Power 5 conferences champion is undefeated, if Georgia runs the table, if Washington runs the table, Clint, or, uh, FSU or UNC, they run the table. You mentioned the three-headed monster in the Big 10. If those teams... Those teams go undefeated, then yes, Oklahoma as a one-loss conference champion, I think would be left out, which would be painful to see. But at this point, Adam, the rest of the way for Oklahoma, I mean, they control their own destiny at this point. You know, you've worked extremely hard over the last twelve months to get to this point. You've put in the time, you've put in the effort. You're six and zero for the first time, and I don't know how many years. And really, the sky's the limit for this football team. They control their own destiny, and. Uh, we just got to refocus and get set for UCF this weekend
1: at widget underscore Brian on Twitter, basically to that same question said, no, you know, when you're favored in every game, you need to win with that schedule. And there's some others that have commented on here as well, just in regards to the schedule, not being very strong. And so I, I think it is going to be tough in regards to if, Oh, you were to drop a game randomly, maybe it's on the road at Oklahoma state, maybe Oklahoma state becomes a ranked team at that point because they're trending in the right direction there. But, um, other than that i think you're probably losing to an unranked team uh, in in a very shocking fashion at that point outside of maybe oklahoma state
0: you know adam i get the strength of schedule argument and the strength of your record being a being a factor in this but i mean honestly let's put all of our cards on the table here we've got an undefeated you know 6 and 0 oklahoma who's got the best win arguably in college football right now in my opinion you you beat a number 3 texas team that's got the win over alabama in tuscaloosa that is the best win in college football so far this season Uh, but you just look at some of the other undefeated teams right now and you really kind of compare what Oklahoma's done against these guys. I mean, Michigan, yes, they are undefeated, but they've played arguably one of the weakest schedules in the Power Five. Uh, Oklahoma's got better wins uh, than UNC. They've got better wins um, than, uh, I think, Georgia at this point right now. And, again, give Georgia credit where credit's due, back-to-back defending national champions. They deserve to be where they're at. But let's just not sit back and say, okay, well, because the Big 12 collectively is down, Oklahoma is not, you know, the record is not as good as what this football team actually is. And I think that's a load of crap. The, the, the impressive performance that they've had, they're 6-0 for a reason. Not only have they won every single game, but they've also covered the spread in all six of their wins as well. So that clearly tells you that they're doing something right. Good teams win, great teams cover. So, go ahead and miss me with the the strength of schedule uh, type of bullshit.
1: The eye test is very important. You mentioned Georgia, not mm-hmm. always looking like the number one team or even a playoff team throughout the entire season. Sure. Uh, they've, they've had their bumps along the way. They've had some really good performances like a week or so ago against Kentucky, but Overall, OU's passed the eye test, and a big piece of that is just covering the spread every week. Mm-hmm. The defense looking massively different, not the one that's going to be, you know, top ten in every single stat category. Uh, really leading the way in the stop rate. I think that's kind of one that they're they're number seven there, top ten. I believe they're still top ten in scoring points per game uh, allowed, which is about fourteen right now. So, those are the two that I think OU can really puff their chest out and kind of say, "Hey, this is a changed defense." Like we may not give up the fewest yards, but Points and where it matters, getting off the field in that stop rate uh, specific category. Yes. That's how OU's defense is significantly better and still one of the tops in the nation there because fourth down, you know, goal line stand against Texas exhibit A right there. So I think the perception and the eye test of OU is really changing and it's, it's, it's flipped a lot. The Texas game really helped where people kind of looked up and went, oh, like. They may not have the most talent and there might be not a name on the defensive line that people outside of the state of Oklahoma really know about yet, Mm -hmm. but man, that team plays like a vintage OU team, like a vintage Brent Venables defense. And so now the narrative can kind of change to, oh, okay, like this is a complete team. The defense has changed. I think the eye test is super important, but going through the back half of the schedule, What more would you want to see if you're a playoff committee member so that OU doesn't get left out in any type of scenario
0: just from the eye test perspective because they're not really going to have ranked wins? Yeah, I mean, I think that you could make a realistic argument that Texas could potentially be their only uh, ranked win this year, which obviously, you know, you take care of business against them twice, you know, two wins at one when they were number three in the country, arguably if they both run the table, Texas is going to be a top 10 team as well. So two top 10 wins over your arch rival, be hard pressed to see the big 12 committee committee or the college football playoff committee, you know, basically seeing that as a dark spot on Oklahoma's resume. Um, so again, I think that basically by Oklahoma winning a week ago, Everything is out there in, of them, in front of them, and it's really just up to them to you know keep the focus, uh, you know stay you know stay goal oriented on making it to Arlington, taking it a one game at a time approach, go one and zero each week, as Brent Venables likes to talk about. And yeah, the sky's the limit for this team. Everything, every goal that Oklahoma has that they laid out before this season started is there for the taking for them, and now it's just on the it's just on them to go out there and execute.
1: Someone that really is passing the eye test is Red and West. Oh, man. Uh, They are linked in our show notes if you're listening on podcast. But if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing the gear. I guess if I can point the right way (laughs) up in the corners here, you see the wing hat. If I can point the right direction There it is. Fantastic. (laughs) Got it right there. The winged hat that uh, they hooked us up with. We've both got on the Red and West polos here, uh, really helping us look fresh as we go to game day, Uh, looking fresh here on the YouTube. For those of you watching as well, they've got some great polos. I love wearing them, but I know I'm going to get some gifts uh, this Christmas for uh, some lucky OU fans in my life because they make great gifts there as well. So check out Ren West, uh, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show as well. Uh, Again, they're linked in the description of YouTube and the podcast. Let's dive a little bit more, though, into UCF. Uh, That's coming up this Saturday, 11 a.m. kick on ABC, I believe. And uh, so another 11 a.m. kick, whatever. This is life in the Big 12 it just means uh, we'll be able to get a W hopefully and start enjoying some rest of the college football uh, throughout the rest of the day. Tyler, let's start on the offensive side of the ball for the Knights Mm -hmm. though. Not, not probably the best start to the year that UCF wanted, but a team that's got some weapons offensively. What
0: are you looking for from this matchup that you're going to want to see this Saturday? Yeah, this is going to be another, excuse me. This is going to be another really good test for Brent Venable's defense on Saturday. You're looking at a team in UCF, yes, I know the record three and three overall doesn't really, you know, doesn't really impress anybody, especially 0-3 in the Big 12 conference play. Uh, but this is a team right now, especially on the offensive side of the football, <clears throat> led by head coach Gus Malzahn, one of the best offensive minds in college football. He's a national championship winning coach for a reason. The Golden Knights currently have the fourth ranked offense in the country. Adam, 34.7 points per game. They've got the number three overall ranked rushing attack in the country, averaging just a hair over 246 yards a game. And it, it all starts with the bell cow uh, in the backfield. R.J. Henry, uh, the last game that they played against Kansas, you know, ultimately they did lose to the Jayhawks in pretty embarrassing fashion, but he went for 133 yards, one touchdown. He's averaging over six yards a carry. So for Oklahoma to have success on Saturday, much like what we saw against Texas where you've got to stop the running game of, of, of uh, Jonathan Brooks, Oklahoma has got to deploy all assets to slow down R.J. Henry. If they can take away and limit UCF's ability to run the football on Saturday, I don't trust Plumley, who's going to be in his first game back in a couple of weeks uh, with that leg injury. I don't think that he's a good enough quarterback to really be able to pick you apart from the pocket. Now he's a good player, don't get me wrong. And if he gets outside of the pocket, he can really you know make you pay with you know how how athletic he is and some of the plays he can make with his feet. But stop the running game, keep uh, Plumlee in the pocket, and I think that this uh, is going to be a, uh, an opportunity for Oklahoma going up against a high powered offense to put together another really really solid performance uh, and improve continue the improvement. Uh, of this Brent Venables defense in year two.
1: John Rice Plumley, one of the fastest quarterbacks in the country. He's a guy that's really going to hurt you with his legs and he's going to get his. I know as OU fans, we like to talk about how OU defenses have so much trouble with running quarterbacks. Every defense has trouble with running quarterbacks. They hurt everybody. So that's not unique to OU, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how effective this defense can be sure. against a guy that he's not necessarily inaccurate. He's not like your traditional dual threat that you might think of a guy that just can't throw at all. He just makes poor decisions. Uh, he has more interceptions on the year than he does touchdowns. He fumbles the ball frequently. That's kind of a career theme for him. That's why he's no longer at Ole Miss where he started out his career. I think he did play under Jeff Levy as a backup one of those years. So mm-hmm. a little bit of familiarity there, but yeah, he's going to get his, I think it's just going to be discipline, especially for your safeties because I, he's has speed from that quarterback back position that you just don't see very often. What Emory Jones is probably the fastest quarterback that OU has faced this year. And yeah. I think that's fair. Really? He really didn't get loose that much. He didn't, I don't think he tried to run all that much, but John rice Plumley is going to run. Like running is going to be his most effective weapon against any defense he plays. So, uh, guys, I'm going to be watching Reggie Pearson and Key Lawrence specifically. What kind of angles are they taking as they attack that quarterback running either on a design run or scrambles? Because that's, I think, where he can really hurt you and he can really beat you. Some great running backs, like you mentioned, out of the backfield there, but uh, it's really going to be stopping John Rice Plumley and, and limiting him to you know sit in the pocket and, uh, and make sure he throws downfield.
0: Adam, curious to get your thoughts on this take I'm about to lay out. Um, because I, I think that this is a weekend that ultimately is going to tell me more about Oklahoma and the current state of the program, when the, where they're at, and your two of Brent Venables. Yes, you've done everything expected of you up to this point. You know, you started out five and zero, something that we didn't do a year ago. Uh, you go you go into the Cotton Bowl. You take care of arguably the best Texas team since two thousand nine, and you know beat be a top three team there. But you had a bye week that I thought came at the absolute perfect time where you were able to take a couple of days to celebrate – The win over texas but it also gives you an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button a little bit come back down to earth get back to the fundamentals use that texas tape where as good as it was as great as the game was there were still some errors on both sides of the football that's giving this coaching staff what do you mean oh you played their perfect game against texas yeah well no no chance they could ever do that again no chance (laughs) if they if they match up again in arlington oklahoma shouldn't even bother you know showing up so that that's kind of where we're at now with the uh i think brent venables is also stealing signs too so if you're gus malzahn on saturday might want to keep your play your, your playbook a little bit closer to the chest, maybe hide some of those signal callers a little bit on Saturday, because that's how Oklahoma's doing what they're doing. BB's stealing signals. Get out of here with that crap. So but yeah, I think that this is a weekend where you've surpassed all of your expectations. You're an 18 and a half point favorite. Coming back home, you've got the storylines with Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel facing their former team. I think that if Oklahoma goes out there on Saturday, puts together another really, really strong performance, wins by three to four touchdowns, looks impressive doing so, I think that that ultimately can say just as much about this Oklahoma football team as anything that they've done through the first six weeks of the season because now that the expectations, we've kind of moved the goal line a little bit and we're, we're starting to look towards college football playoff, winning a Big 12 championship. You're, you would just hope that this is a team – that hasn't read all the social media hype they haven't read the press clippings like we've seen over the last you know seven to ten days and you go out there on saturday you refocus you put together another really strong performance against ucf you win this game i think that that says just as that says as many positive things about this program than i think a win over texas did a week ago
1: it's absolutely a chance for ou to go out and flex a little bit and say hey We've moved on from Texas. We have bigger goals. I know that was our Super Bowl. That's the game every year. That's our Super Bowl, OU Texas. But um, but we have bigger goals to win the Big 12 and to make a college football playoff and go from there. And so it's an opportunity to say, hey, like we are a focused program. We're not the Lincoln-Riley uh, mm-hmm. program still. Like Brent Venables is, is keeping our eyes dead set on the goal of getting out there and being the best possible team that we can be. And yep. this UCF program, as talented as they are, as much successes as they've had, it's all been in the group of five, and I do think UCF will probably be the best team in the Big Twelve within a couple of years because they have so many natural advantages down there in Florida <laughs> that other teams don't. So I do think this program has really high a really high ceiling still, and I respect some of the players they have. They have lots of guys from yeah. SEC schools on this roster that transferred in, but at the same time, look what they've done on the field so far this year. Um, you know, zero and three in the conference so far just not able to uh to have success just yet and a lot of these group of five mm-hmm. teams moving into the big 12 have really hit that wall a lot i think houston got the first win against the legacy <laughs> yeah. school uh last thursday night against west virginia i'm not sure how took a, of that took is a hail mary to yet. do it yeah took a hail mary so this is an opportunity for
0: OU to go out and just dominate mm-hmm. and so we'll see i mean it's It's going to be tough. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point, Adam. I don't know if this is something that's been talked about enough. You know, there was a lot of expectations about what are we going to see from these four new programs entering into the Big 12, making the jump from the group of five to the Power Five Conference. We thought the BYU was going to have the capability to do something. UCF, you know, at least, you know, the first 22, the starters, was going to have the talent to be able to compete with most teams in the Big 12. And then here you look up, you know, seven weeks into the season, and all four of those newcomers are ranked either tied for last. Or dead last uh, in the in the Big Twelve conference to the first seven weeks of the season. So, but again, any time that you line up against Oklahoma, this is UCF Super Bowl. They're coming to Norman. No, nobody, <laughs> nobody in the, in America is giving this team a chance. So, this is a game that I fully expect the Golden Knights to get up for on Saturday, and uh, you know, put their best foot forward to give Oklahoma its best shot. And Adam, I want to I want to switch things over uh, to when Oklahoma is on offense. Let's talk about this UCF defense because I want to get your thoughts on this. There's with all the storylines about Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel, you know, now he's in the Heisman conversation. He's one of the best quarterbacks statistically in America. Now he's going up against his former team, his former program. Does the revenge factor come into play? Is Jeff Levy going to call and scheme this thing up where it's going to give, you know, Dylan the ability to go out there and throw for 350 plus yards, you know, throw four touchdowns. You look at this UCF defense. I think Oklahoma's gonna have success on Saturday, and I'm not even sure if Dylan Gabriel really would have to throw a pass. Because this UCF running defense, I mean, it's like Swiss cheese. You look at this statistically, it's the worst rushing defense in the Big 12. It's the 121st ranked rushing defense in the country. Kansas ran for 399 yards on them. K-State ran for over 275 yards against him. This is a big-time game for... Bill Beanbow's group, we lost McCabe and Tower for a couple of weeks. The left guard uh, position is one where there's kind of been an influx. There's been some rotation of some guys like a Troy Everett, Savion Bird, Caden Green, who was really, really good in the second half uh, of that Cotton Bowl against Texas. What's it going to look like at the two interior guard spots? Are you going to see a guy like Caleb Schaefer step up and, you know, take that starting, you know, that first starting series against the Knights on Saturday. What do we do with, uh, what do we do with Savion Bird, who, you know, by everything that we've heard, he's continuing to do all the right things. But, you know, you got to perform on Saturdays. And Caden Green's put out some really good tape, you know, a week ago. Troy Everett's been consistent. Doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Caden Green or a Savion Bird. But you know what you're going to get with Troy Everett when he's out there. He's going to fight like hell. He's going to play his ass off. Uh, and he's going to be consistent. But I think that this is a get-right game for for this Oklahoma rushing attack. I know that they went for over 200 yards against Texas a week ago. Most of that was on the legs of Dylan Gabriel. I think this is a get-right game for DeMarco Murray's group. I don't care if it's Tawie Walker, Marcus Major, Sawchuck Barnes. Hell, unleash the freshman on Saturday. Oklahoma, this is your opportunity to go out there, run for over 200 yards collectively as a running back core. And uh, I think that Oklahoma is going to have tremendous success uh, on Saturday against UCF.
1: Yeah. UCF has been beaten and bruised by some really good running offenses in Kansas and Kansas State specifically. But really, if OU is going to run the ball this year, it's now or never. And I know there's been some shuffling along the offensive line with injuries, but OU's got to be able to go out and prove it. And so I'm looking for, hey, how far down the field is it going to be before first contact? Because I think OU could rip off some big runs. Remember these three numbers, Tyler. 30, 19 and 7. That's the longest runs of the year for your top three running backs for Tawhee Walker, Marcus Major, and Gavin Sawchuk, respectively. I think, I don't know if Gavin Sawchuk will get carries. I think it'll be a lot of Marcus Major and Tawhee Walker, but if all three of those guys play and get significant numbers of carries, I think they each break their longest uh, run of the year. Gavin Mm Slotchuk, only seven yards, not too much to beat there. But Marcus Majors and Toby Walker, not the fastest guys, but I think they'll be able to get pretty far downfield before that first contact. So absolutely, run the ball. I know it'll be be hard to resist the urge to say, Dylan Gabriel, who's been playing ridiculously Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. and he does give you the best chance to win, I think he'll have plenty of opportunities to throw still. But don't forget about your running game because this is the game to go get right, to get it working, because it's going to be much tougher when you go to Kansas, when you go to Oklahoma State, and so forth. So, um, get right game. Got to, got to find a way on the ground. I'm
0: also curious to see what the Oklahoma wide receiving core does this week. Obviously, with the loss of Andre Anthony for the year, that you know, that's statistically that was OU's number one guy. And I know that they've got a lot of depth in that room, uh, but how's Jeff Levy going to? you know, deploy, whether it's a Jaden Gibson, whether it's a Nick Anderson who can step into that, you know, that role for Andre Anthony full time. What is a guy like, you know, uh, Brennan Thompson, uh, who he's now fully healthy. He took full advantage of that bye week. So I'm very curious to see what they're going to do to be able to replace the production that Andre Anthony gave you through the first six games of the season. I think that that's going to be something that I'm at least going to be keeping my eye on. I don't think that UCF is really a team that can really test you uh you know with that with their secondary but with some of the opponents that Oklahoma's got you know on the back end of this schedule uh you know obviously Oklahoma State's defense West Virginia's defense BYU is pretty salty especially up there in Provo uh I'm going to be watching you know Emma Jones's group on Saturday and see what the production looks like uh, from the wide receivers in Crimson last I saw spread was still I think 18 18 points in favor of
1: the Sooners 18 and a half. What's your score prediction for Saturday, Tyler?
0: I've kind of gone back and forth with this one again. It it depends on what OU team shows up on Saturday. If we get the Oklahoma team that we saw against Texas, Oklahoma will run away with this by four to five touchdowns. They'll run and hide. But if you get a type of performance like we saw against Cincinnati or you saw against SMU, where, yes, they played pretty well over the course of four quarters, but it wasn't very good complimentary football. It kind of feels like there was just a little bit something missing on one side of the football throughout the game. But I think that this is a weekend where Brent Venables kind of brings brings everybody back together. You know, they see they see the validation in what Brent Venables has been teaching or preaching might be the better word for the last 18 months. And I think that this is a weekend where he can pull his guys together. All the goals are out there very, very realistic. A Big 12 championship, you know, fighting for a college football playoff berth. you got to go out there and you take care of business on Saturday because the only team on Saturday that's going to have a chance to beat Oklahoma – Is Oklahoma. I think that they're that good. I think there's that much of a talent and a coaching advantage in this matchup. So for that reason, I'm going to go Oklahoma 52, UCF 20. I'm
1: fairly similar here. I think that UCF will be able to move the ball in between the 20s pretty effectively. But as we've seen in the past with this OU defense, they really buckle down in the red zone, especially mm-hmm. when you've got a quarterback that his most dynamic aspect about him is his legs. You can start bringing more guys into the box, into the red zone, and start forcing him to make really difficult throws there. And I think that's where this UCF offense stalls out. So I still think they'll have a lot of success there. I don't think that they'll punt that much, actually. I think they will either get you know a field goal or have a a turnover of some kind as this defense has really proven they're able to get their their hands on uh, some passes that are thrown out there so I think they'll have uh, the ability to score 23 points and then I think Mm -hmm. OU may have some kind of sleepy moments on offense I'm a little bit more concerned about them not playing up to their potential in this game but I think OU can still cover I've got 45 to 23 for the Sooners against UCF on Saturday Let's round things out here with our bets for the week. Tyler, you gained a week on me uh, this uh, this past weekend going three and two. I went two and three. I still hold about a one and a half game lead on best bets. Still over 500, just barely. So I will lead us off with my first bet of the week. I'm going the uh, Golden Hurricane. They're hosting Rice at home. They're a three and a half point favorite. Rice, a team that's Kind of been up and down, but has really been pummeled lately. So I'm trusting Kevin Wilson here to uh, get me a W here and
0: uh, beat Food. <laughs> okay, I like it. All right, this is the, this is the week I bounce back and take the lead uh, in this in this duel, Adam. So pick number one for me. I'm staying in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, Texas Longhorns traveling down to H Town to take on Dana Holgerson's Cougars. Texas is a huge favorite in this one. I'm going to take the first half line on this one. Texas minus 13 and a half. I think that this is a team that's going to come out pissed off. They think they see that Houston's kind of, a, you know, they're a, they're a wounded animal backed into a corner. I think the Texas is going to kind of use uh, Houston um, as kind of the team that they're going to take their anger out on. Everything that they've gone through, everything that they've heard uh, over the last, you know, nine to ten days, I think that this is an opportunity for Sarkeesian to kind of get get the ship back on course. And I think the Texas blows Houston out, and they're going to get off to a fast start. So give me the horns, minus 13 and a half. First half. I'm excited
1: to watch that one because I do agree. Like the uh, the anger of Texas is about to be taken out on Houston, but at the same time, Houston desperately wants to beat Texas. Like that is oh, their yeah. biggest game of yeah. the year, and like a lot of those guys wanted to be recruited by Texas. So that one's gonna be interesting. My number two, I'm going Army at LSU. The total here is 57 and a half. I'm gonna take the under here because one of two things is gonna happen. Either LSU is going to be able to stop that Army offense and keep them very limited to what they can score, or they won't, and it'll be really long, drawn-out drives for uh, the Black Knights there. So I think 57.5 is a pretty good one, despite the Tigers having a very lethal offense.
0: Yeah, I like that one as well. Pick number two for me, going out to the Big Ten Conference uh, rivalry game up there in the state of Michigan. Uh, Wolverines traveling on the road to take on the Spartans. Michigan currently a 24.5-point favorite. I think that this says more about how bad of a position Michigan State's in right now, but it also goes in combined with the fact that Michigan is playing just absolutely lights out right now. Uh, This is not a look-ahead game by any stretch of the imagination. Michigan does have a bye next week. So I think Harbaugh has these guys focused going into a rivalry game, going into hostile uh, territory. I think Michigan covers the 24-and-a-half number.
1: I wanted to pick that one, but I still couldn't go against my dad and the in-laws. In fact, I texted my dad this Saturday, and he's given up on on the Spartans this year. So, things not going well there. My number three, I thought about actually taking the under on this game as well, but I'm going to go a little bit differently. I'm, I'm picking USC. Fight on the Trojans in the first half to cover three and a half against Interesting. Utah. It doesn't sound like Cam Rising is close to getting back he's really struggled to to recover from that really bad acl injury that he had in the rose bowl last year yeah so utah not really a very good offensive team got a good defense but i think the trojans will get out there and be able to score quite a bit and i really think utah's offensive success will probably come in the second half as they start to wear down on this usc defense kind of ironically the defense for the trojans was pretty decent against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. They just got put in really bad positions by by Caleb Williams. So not the way that we thought they were going to lose, but I, I think the defense actually plays pretty well against this limited Utah offense. So give me the Trojans to cover in the first half.
0: Yeah, that's a game that I I desperately wanted to get in on, but I'm also staying far away from it because you don't know how USC is going to react coming off of the, you know, the first loss of the season. So pick number three for me going out to the SEC, Tennessee traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on a pissed off, Alabama team that has not forgot what Josh Heupel and Hinton Hooker did to them at Neyland Stadium a year ago. I'm going to stay away from the spread in this matchup, though, because I think that this is this is going to be a defensive battle on Saturday. Tennessee, who, if you watch that game against Texas A&M, very, very limited in the passing game. I know there was a lot of hype about Joe Milton coming into the season, but I do not trust him at all to make some of those pivotal third down throws uh, to convert and keep some of those drives alive. But I do like Tennessee's front seven and their ability to keep Alabama in check over the course of four quarters. So I I think that this is going to definitely be an Alabama win, but I'm going to take the under 49 and a half here uh, for, for the uh, Crimson Tide.
1: For my number four, I'm going back to the well, the one that keeps on winning for me, anybody who's playing against Nevada, they're going on the road to play San Diego state. Now San Diego state, not what you think about over, you know, the last 10 years or so, not the best team uh, necessarily, but I just think is so bad. So I'm going to take actually the first half line in this one as well.
0: Give me the Aztecs to cover six and a half. I like it. Pick number four for me. This is one that I probably shouldn't be betting, but it just looks too good to not, to not take it. South Carolina traveling up to Columbia to take on the Missouri Tigers. Missouri currently favored by six and a half. Missouri's coming off of a big-time win in Lexington over Kentucky, a game that they absolutely dominated from start to finish. South Carolina had their heart pulled out uh, on on Saturday. They had a win uh, against Florida until ultimately Graham Mertz went nuclear and brought the Gators back. So I like this position for Missouri. Uh, Give me the Tigers, minus 6.5.
1: I think if Georgia was playing at Mizzou later this year, we'd be talking a lot about that potential upset. Mm -hmm. But Tigers having a great year. My last one, my number five, a little bit of a YOLO pick here, but I just can't stop betting on the Iowa game. So I'm going to take the under. It's really low. It's 32 and a half. But we've got the worst offense in the country in Iowa, dead last in all FBS, leads the nation in three and outs. Their backup quarterback, Deacon Hill, just not good. (laughs) Not good whatsoever. (laughs) I think it was two weeks ago they had a game where they didn't complete a single pass to a wide receiver. That's pathetic. Minnesota joins them as, as a bottom 100 offense. So Ooh. just give me the under here, 32 and a half.
0: I, I can't disagree with that. It, just seeing the 32 and a half number, I mean, that's just shocking in, in this day and age in college football that that's where we're at with those two programs in Minnesota and Iowa. I'll, I'll go ahead and round it out here, Adam. I'm going to call an audible on this one. I had FIU against Sam Houston State with a, uh, Sam Houston State being a five and a half point favorite. But talked to myself into betting on the boys in Crimson and Cream. Oklahoma an 18 and a half point favorite I'm believing in this team until they prove me otherwise so I'm gonna take Oklahoma to cover the 18 and a half against the UCF Golden Knights at 11 a.m. on Saturday let's go let's make it happen do you we'll appreciate put, it. one last thing Adam do you want to give yeah. one other shout out to our sponsor of this podcast here Red and West it also passes the eye test I'm currently sporting if you're watching on YouTube 1966 OU helmet mini stripe polo I've wore everything. I've got the Jordan. I've got the Nike. I've got the Vineyard Vines, the Peter Millar, Red and West. It stands out. Comfort, uh, comfortability, it looks great. Don't settle for boring game day gear, guys. Head on over to Red and West. Get yourself some apparel to close out this season. And also stock up on some holiday items. Get some of that shopping done, just like Adam and I are going to be doing at Red and West.
1: Knock it out. The link's in the description to check it out there. Appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed this, give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. That greatly helps us out and we will greatly appreciate it as well. We'll see everyone again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast.